Hey containers, it's Kristen Crow. I just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode might sound a little different. It was recorded live at our MopsCon event in September. So bear with the technical difficulty we had while Edward was attempting to share his whiteboard. Spoiler alert, it didn't work out, so you're not missing anything not being able to see us all on video. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Tumos founder, Edward Unthink. Strategic plans are getting all thrown around Looking for solutions that are stunning and sound So many buzzwords keep hitting your brain You don't know what it is, but it must contain ABM, what does that really mean? Data is that just what it means? AI, what is it really that's smart? Let's take a minute to the buzzwords apart Hi, I'm Kristen Crow, And I'm Kristen Caridio. And this is Must Contain, the podcast from Atumos where we help explain the how of marketing, although we can't always explain the why. Join us every two weeks as we break down marketing and corporate topics and discuss what they really mean. And if you enjoy this podcast, please remember to like, follow, or subscribe in all your favorite podcast platforms. And welcome, everyone, to our very first live episode of Must Contain. Are you nervous, Kristen? Uh, I have been less nervous <laughs> in my lifetime, <laughs> but uh, we're we're amongst friends here at MobsCon. Absolutely. These are definitely our people. If we were to ever have people, these would be them. And thank you to all of our people for joining us today. We have a very exciting episode planned, as I'm sure you can already see who our guest is, but it is the kind of topic a lot of our episodes have circled around. We were discussing that it approaches a must-contain thesis, if such a thing were to exist. And here to chat with us is Itumos founder, Edward Unthink. Edward? What's the topic at the end? Hello, hello, welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, so today I was looking to talk about customer success operations, uh, specifically kind of where I think the future of marketing operations is going is as market tech is evolving. I see this is where marketing operations persons and sales operations persons, and generally where I see the focus of marketing operation um, starting to, to come into play as the second goal. Um, so customer success operations, the idea is basically anything that's been doing customer and beyond kind of marketing, um, as you some may call that under strategic umbrellas of product led growth as well. Um, but it's basically the idea is once somebody becomes a customer, how do we extend them to maximum possible value? And kind of what I'm bringing to this is the thesis that uh, under the revenue operations umbrella of marketing operations, sales operations, um, I think there's also a third one called customer success operations. I've hinted that this for a few years, but I think it's where the market's going and kind of uh, kind of the new technology that's coming through. Awesome. Getting thrown off by the comments. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of the comments, if uh, anybody has questions as we make our way through the episode, please do feel free to put them in the chat. We may have time to answer a few at the end, depending on what goes on with Edward's whiteboard. So. Because it's coming. The whiteboard is coming. It's coming. The whiteboard is coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, OK, what's, uh, so that was the, the primary on that. Um, what I think, so I think what's been interesting 
Um, as I say this, you know, as I mentioned, customer success operations, I think it's been many years in the coming. Um, and we've seen that there are even companies like Gainsight, there's existing what people call customer success operations. But I think there's currently a view of um, the customer marketing world as there's a a current model where it's scaled with customer success managers, which is to say, if you have high quality customers right now, um, then you know that you're trying to get those people to re renew, upsell, everything else like that. The way that that's currently being approached is by throwing customer success managers at a problem. Um, and it's in a kind of a high touch service uh, model, but I think current buyers also aren't necessarily just fit for that model as well as that doesn't scale. You can't just say, uh, every CSM holds 50 accounts. You can't you can't logarithmically grow to the next step without also just linearly scaling the actual people, aka the cost, in order to service that much of the customer funnel fully. So, I think is that this is going to be um, moving toward nurturing actual customers and having actual product funnels. I think from the tech, that's all the technology and the market side of what's happening. Now, I think the operations persons who are actually doing the building and everything, um, that is where I see it turning into customer success operations, uh, which has currently been kind of a little niche thing, uh, but I think is going to be more and more you're going to see. We'll be able to take the intelligent marketing automation that we've been using for prospects and be able to actually apply it to customers at scale, automated at scale, and not just be able to say in order to, to service all of these, we don't need to just scale with people, we need to scale with technology and process that makes sense, that makes intelligent sense, aka customer success operations. So, Edward, let's talk about CSOPS, as I think you have yet to use the acronym, but I'm pretty sure that's where we're going with this. CSOPS. It's CS, oh, customer CS success. Okay. Customer right. success Sorry, is very Sorry. well established as an acronym, as a field. <laughs> I, think I won't fight that. You're not making it's up customer your own? Success. Come on. Ops. No, I'm working on that later. CSOPS. Okay. Sounds there. like uh, some sort of government, military. Like, <laughs> I know. All of them do. Edward loves all the acronym. Pops, cops. <laughs> like, I figured he was going to come in strong with like a brand. CS ops, you know, yeah, I'm going with the CS ops. Um, so tell us a little bit more, Edward, about why companies should be taking a harder look at how they're treating their customer seg segment from an automated perspective. Yes, great, great question. So natural companies respond to the natural ebbs and flows of the economy, right? So, and that means that different company leaders, different company strategies have different focus at different points. Up to this point in tech, we've seen a very pretty significant up until the last few years, I'd say. We've seen a, a pretty significant focus on grow at all costs. And the way that you do that is by um, blanketing the world with prospect and with marketing and sales um, in order to hit full capacity. Um, now that's been a grow at all costs that's really expensive. And so what happens is when the economy is good, when you're spending that money and that resources into, um, as you say, a, a tailwind, that'll be, that'll be good because it'll get you further. The same dollar spend will get you further. But then once it starts to, when the economy starts to turn into people protect mode, then it becomes protect your customers 
as well as grow profitably and intelligently, not flagrantly at a loss. Um, and so I think the adjustment has been, we've seen naturally in the market a focus on grow at all costs because it's been very successful in the previous market. I think now as, um, as we're starting to see, it starts to shift into the company owner saying, where's our revenue come from? Well, 80% of a company of an existing company's revenue, most companies, uh, is existing customers. You're just talking to the existing customers. So in times when times get hard, it turns into protect those uh, customer base, um, hold on to that customer base, and that turns into customer success marketing. Um, and also in terms of overall market trends we're seeing, you know, there was a move. I'd say 10 years ago, we had inbound marketing as a big thing, then content marketing. Um, and then we had in between there, there started being um, account-based marketing, which is to say hardcore sales and doing sales really deeply and intelligently and well. Um, and I think now the next trend that you're seeing in the market is product-led growth, which um, I think in my opinion, this is where, um, operations becomes practically helpful in this world of product-led growth is product-led growth is a specific strategy that a company can pursue, which is a focus on, uh, on existing products and excellent product experience and, and upsell from that as the, as a strategy, but primary as the primary strategy, um, to, to run their companies. And I think what that's happened before is we've seen ABM people switched when ABM account-based marketing saying, stop fishing with nets. All you need is a spear. You just need to get, you know, the, the 10 whale accounts. That's all that you, all that matters. Everything else is a pittance. Um, well, I, what we had seen from that is companies who took their marketing resources of content marketing, inbound marketing, and pivoted all of them into the ABM market. Um, that ended up being a significant overshift for those persons, those companies, and they had to find it's not just one strategy leads all. It's not ABM is now the way that marketing and sales is done. It's not that product led is now the way that the world is done. It's saying these are the strategic focus areas and our strategic play. And we can say ABM is very significant in that. And I think we're going to start to see based on the economy and everything else like this, a focus into customer marketing and therefore product-led growth uh, will be a natural outporting of this. And I think where the product-led growth actually hits traction is when we're talking about automating these systems. In the same way that we're talking about marketing systems and product analytics, everything else like this, we can, we can come up with a very intelligent way to do um, time human resource allocation of SDRs uh, or CSMs in this world um, into having intelligent tiering and profiling and scoring based on the people who are actually in the system. And, and that in itself would be a just ginormous, you could, you could 2x the results at nearly the same cost just with saying, let's do it smarter instead of just scaling at scale. Scaling as fast uh, as you can. <laughs> I was going to say scaling at scale. Scaling at uh, scale. <laughs> so let's like dive a little bit into what you see as automatable in the customer success world, like the scoring models that you're thinking about, what goes into those, how should folks kind of start looking at their customer set uh, from a more precise, uh, scored, scientific view? Okay, um, that's a great question. And with that, I'm going to transition into 
the whiteboard. Oh, <laughs> what everyone's been waiting for. It's I think I had a prettier one in here somewhere too. I'm just going to go with this one. Um, okay. Excuse me while I walk away. Um, is that forward or backward on my screen? Do I need to mirror that? It's forward. It's forward. Okay. Great. And as a really quick side note for anybody listening on the audio feed, we'll, we'll post some uh, video or, or screen capture here. So all is not lost. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm walking over with my um, mic and my everything set up here. I'm hoping it's be, uh, um, or... This is how we make the sausage, everyone. Here it is. <laughs> this is how it works. <laughs> um, okay, so customer success operations. I'm going to pivot into what are the actual framework, what are the things that we could do with it. I think um, one of the ways that we have done this, and I've looked into doing this before, this has been common in SaaS in a previous model or an early world SaaS in a uh, B2C world as well as a freemium model. Um, so freemium model, pay to use, these are really excellent ways that you can run a customer success marketing operation. Ooh, Edward, yeah. let's let's up your mic. Up my mic. Is this better? Mm. No, worse. Okay, just a second. Hold on with me. Oh, oh, there you are. Fancy mic. All right, try this. Is this better? <laughs> Thanks for okay. that vote of confidence, Joe, in the comments. It would be weird if we were AV experts. Can you hear me now? No. All right. Working on Edward's audio. Hold on, hold on. We're getting there. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm gonna go back to. I'm gonna go back to this. Um, All right. Pretend I have a whiteboard in front of me. Um, okay, so maybe I can actually sell this. Um, so the primary things that we were looking at in customer success is the foundations. Basically, how do you come up with a revenue model specific to and similar and akin to what we've been doing with prospect marketing? We have a generally what we've say is in is in the past into a world of. Um, Okay, making sure you can all hear me. Um, it was in the past we had the series decisions model: marketing accepted lead, marketing qualified, sales accepted, sales qualified um, customer. So what have, what's been done previously is you know that's been the standard way that things have been done. But still, the product led companies, the companies who are more freemium, everything else, SaaS tech companies, have been working on this for a long time. And so you know we ended up setting this up for Optimizely back in the day when they were doing a freemium model was their primary. Uh, method of, of any sales. And so it was, what is the method? How do you get somebody into a customer? And what's the definition of that, especially when you have a loose definition? Like if you're talking about a, a per use customer, then their definition of being a customer, is it when you have their credit card? Is it when they run out of free trial thing accounts? Is it when they spend a dollar? Is it when they spend a hundred dollars? Is it when they spend $10 a month? Um, everything else like that. So those kinds of questions have already been in here. And so the paths that have, have, have been construed from this um, are basically to say that there are a few different paths. There's like a fast track lane, and then there's a traditional slow lane, and then there's a how do we use, get the most value out of things like advocates for this. So what I'd say, all customers, imagining that um, customer automation at that point, you still have Marketo just for base technologies to imagine with me. 
Marketo Salesforce customer in there. Um, if you have that in there, then we have to start a new funnel. And that's actually what we do in, in previous worlds. We've, instead of saying we have one serious decisions funnel, uh, we also create a funnel for um, existing customers and what we want that customer more of expansion funnel to look like, even though it doesn't make mathematical sense, um, is to say, um, that we need to actually build that out. What we've done before is you have to decide what's the existing into the point. So if you're a, an old school B2B, that can be really clear with a huge contract signed, uh, or you can be into the SaaS world where you have a product. And as I say, one of them was if you have a free trial product, um, where do you actually go with that? It's first, we had a definition of the early stage of customer is that somebody starts a free trial. And that's what we had determined um, was that piece. The second stage is that they had input valid credit card credentials, as in they're very, it's like it's pinged. It's not, you don't actually pay anything, but it's like, this isn't a fake credit card. This isn't someone, this isn't a fraud. This isn't whatever. This is actually a, a piece there. And then what you had done after that point is we say, now we have 100% of customers who have gone through this theoretically, hopefully at this point, because you're trying to find the universal path for customers. Um, and so at that, you, we had seen commonly, you're looking for what's called the inflection point on when customers in their usage, um, after a certain amount of actions, you can basically say, yeah, they're stuck here. They're going to be our customer for a long point. And there's a certain amount of activity that you have to do before that in order to determine, um, in order to determine where they've been in the path, um, and determine what the next, the actual metric that you want to line up against time. So for example, it could be the amount of spend per customer uh, would be a good example of that. So we had determined that at the inflection point, if somebody spends $1 with us on an ongoing, like recurring monthly thing, if they spend $1, that means they've successfully implemented, they're happy, they know how it works and they're actually testing it. And to have spent that $1 also for that company, it meant that a significant tech investment was already in purchased, put into place to show the intensity of their decision to move forward. So that, for example, after looking at the data, we said, if somebody spends a dollar, they're locked forever uh, for, for practicality forever for a long-term uh, customer. And so what you find was is whatever that inflection point, what we found is it was $1 spent. Um, in other situations, it's been when you hit certain onboarding threshold, if you have a, it actually configured or um, whatever would be applicable to the company. But it's finding what those significant pieces are um, in the onboarding process, totally automating the onboarding process, scoring up people based on their profiles, and then being able to put them into um, different nurture paths based on what's going to make sense to them. Not everyone makes sense to upsell. The other thing is what I have found as a, as the, on the receiving end of these CSMs in these worlds is, we know large tech companies, when you have a multi-year contract, when you have a three-year contract, but your CSM lifetime at the company is a year and a half, that means the user experience is that my actually talking to a CSM is just, hi, here's your new contact, I'm quitting. Um, and that, as an example, is a kind of a pissed off customer idea is uh, we can actually be able to the idea would be able to put in measurement of how people might be annoyed and then uh, be able to plot that against what the behaviors are. I'm rambling now. Give me, give me questions. <laughs> no, I mean, I think uh, during some of our prep sessions, I had shared that I worked for an organization that did a little bit of this. This was way back 
in like 2012, 2013, uh, where they sort of negatively scored things that they felt were proxies for bad customer sentiment. And they called it the CPO, the customer pissed off score, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I was the loyalty marketing operations manager. So it was my job to kind of figure out some of those proxies. That was things like, um, you know, their implementation was taking past the average number of days that an implementation should take. Their CSM had not reached out in X number of days to check in on them. They, we received a low NPS score from the customer. Um, are there other sort of sentiment kind of metrics that you uh, are thinking about uh, yeah. in the customer success realm? Yes, yes, absolutely. So I think the, so I think this is kind of ripe for sciencing and data sciencing and like turning into real science and less art and less feel goody um, on terms of the marketing to uh, customers and beyond. And I think the way that we've been able to, and I, I joke about it with every other executive founder, CE person, executive person that I talk to is NPS, the the net promoter scores. It's you know on a on a one to five, click a button. How much would you recommend us to your friends? I think that's that's just comically, comically bad, um, comically untrustworthy. Anyone who brags about NPS, I look at and I asterisk because that's a shady way to interpret metrics. And I'm remembering that for later on how you see things. Um, right. Not but, a fan of NPS. <laughs> not a fan of NPS. Very gameable. Extraordinarily gameable. Doesn't mean much. Um, and uh, so, for example, we can start with an NPS scoring system in an automated system. You could, for example, make a little campaign program that on a frequent-ish basis sends out what your NPM survey is and then can actually score that. You could log people's score. You could track it in cohorts. You could see generally how that works on a more scientific basis than as a snapshot right now, customers like us a lot. Three five. <laughs> um, so instead of that, you can have individual people with NPS scores, and you could track how much and what you want to do with low promoters as opposed to high promoters. And then ideally, the next step is that we stop using net promoter score because it's a joke, and we come up with something that's actually scientific um, and not so laughably gameable um, as a as a promotional uh, vanity metric. So other examples would be the equivalent of behavior score. So as Kristen mentioned, and this hasn't always been an idea in like marketing, it's like, what is the, how do you score unsubscribes and how much people like actually may kind of hate us, even though they're not saying it, they're just kind of going with the empties, the non-responses. Um, so yeah, yeah, quiet, <laughs> quiet quitting prospects. Um, and uh, so, yeah, looking at those, being able to actually have a, a scientific measure on what their activities are and score them intelligently would be great. The other thing is profiling people just into um, company buckets as well as person individual buckets. What I finally, what I find is the customer success marketing has generally done is uh, we look for upsells and we look for feel and we're like customer service patch on the back feel good we're here to help um, without quantifying exactly what is helped in what way um, except for the cases where it's just renewal and then we feel that too as prospects and that sucks too mm -hmm. um, so it's it's being able to have basically all that is to say we have a one-size experience right now one size doesn't fit all turns out their profiles different people like different types of treatment we can do that do that with marketing automation all the time we can similarly do that with existing customers we can see that you know edward doesn't want to be um 
talked to by a human and just wants the automated route entirely. Um, That's true, everyone. That's true. Um, And so, you know, for me, I would put me into an automated track um, and low touch automated track. And similarly, we can we can get the same kind of things, especially if you're looking at existing customers. I mean, most of this, you have data on how engaged they've been and how much they've engaged with your previous marketing funnel at this point as well, theoretically. So. Uh, you should be able to be able to glean some insights and not come in blind with an on, CSM onboarding that is tone deaf and uh, and and doesn't actually take into account expertise of the people in the room and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm actually going to jump in with a question from the audience because Please. I think it kind of pertains to what we're doing here. So Amy, thank you for that. So she was talking about aligning on communications and recognizing the importance of creating that alignment so you're you know not pissing people off and they're not getting disparate communications yes. from various groups of people or various mm-hmm. tools but she's asking where do you see the overlap or the coordination between marketing ops and cs ops how do they work together so it depends on the it depends on how your org defines this so really what the answer is is going to be org specific um which is such a cop-out answer to start, but um, it's going to be org-specific on seeing either, is there an organization whose roles and functions are based on the customers, on the point in the prospect to customer journey? Um, Because that's commonly one way to distribute it. Um, So for example, and I think in current systems where there exists customer success and there exists marketing, both in significant size, scale, and quality, um, the merging of those two becomes the same kind of akin of life cycle handoff. What we need to do is we need to come up with an overall agreed upon approach to this. And that means an end to end life cycle. We've done the, the prospect to sales mm-hmm. and then you need to continue the path and determine where is it from customer to the next point? Um, and what is it where we talk about, um, you know, who are those that depends on individual funnel stages. You should objectively automatedly define what those are in the same way that we can do exactly that with the pre with the prospect funnel um so i think it's first everyone get in a room determine what the responsibilities are make sure that coverage of the funnel is a hundred percent including post customer um i think that's a, a primary point of importance there um, and then it, you know, another segmentation model that people go after is uh, on the highest level is based on what tech tools people are using. So in the same way, you know, the tech tools is such as, you know, if you're talking about Gainsight, Marketo, um, and Sales Loft, Outreach, Iterable, all of those things, um, you have to determine who owns which in each part of it. Sometimes it makes sense to have system admins and that be the primary function of it. Um, but I think probably what would make more sense is an overall, make sure there's no black holes and that we have a holistic experience from prospect to forever customer advocate. Um, and that's automated from prospect to forever advocate. Um, and then determining that, you know, if the equivalent of a product qualified lead, which is a term I've heard PQL, I don't love it. It's what it is. Uh, but a, which is to say if a customer, that's the idea that if it's a customer, it's a free trial, if they become qualified, they, you know, if they sent in their credit card, that would be a, a product qualified lead as I currently hear it. I'm not stuck on that. I'm going to change it probably. I hope, but, 
what that means is, for example, the PQL could mean that goes into outreach and now it becomes an outreach job, or maybe it becomes PAL into PQL is onboarding experience. And therefore we need to assign a CSM whose primary is judged on percentage of people in to people out successfully onboarded. Mm -hmm. um, dividing that into product accepted, into product qualified, you would have a clear path. The only way you go through there is you hit the first point of saying you're a customer-ish, and then you go into the next qualifying piece, and then you can have someone assigned, as well as automation tracks, as well as marketing, as well as whatever else you want, actually programmed into that. And then from QL to a bond beyond, I think there's other other metrics, it depends on the company. For example, a lot of this becomes account-based, in my opinion, at the step after PQL. PQL and beyond is account-based um, or and kind of before in the process there. Um, so that model means that also we need to expand into the other people um, because that's usually another piece of stickiness is like if you have one person in the company using the tool, that's fine until that person leaves. If you have five people using a tool and three are consistent, then you're sticky. Mm -hmm. And that's good. And you can you can continue to work with that. So I think it's coming up with what those are and just aligning aligning them in first funnel, second stages, responsibilities, third automation. How do we optimize in between each of these paths? Um, and then it's uh, now how do we optimize that flow? And I think one of the other things that you see from this, which is always kind of irked me a bit is. The people who don't, in customer success, I find some of the most successful sources of customer success is making advocates for a brand, advocates mm -hmm. for a company, advocate for you. And that is not necessarily the people who are going to pay you the same. They're not going to, mm -hmm. I mean, that might, the people who most love your brand are the ones who by your math scoring are going to, by your you know value scoring are going to be ignored basically. So mm -hmm. that to me has always said, that's an opportunity for an advocate engagement track where we can use you know use these people and expand their interest in in our company and our product and our advocation of a way of doing things all of that is like that's i think first is make more money path for the the actual customer funnel but the step after that is we have gold in the advocates here we have people who love us and are convinced by all the things that we've done so it's how do you market to them for advocate for case studies? How do you put them to um, being helpful and further advocating in the work? How do you advance their careers and get them into better positions as well? How do you track people track people across careers as well? Um, so um, all of these I see as being uh, customer success operations and where where it actually starts to happen. Yeah, and I think a lot of what you're talking about is really where the rubber meets the road on a lot of the concepts. So I don't know, for those folks that were at the Adobe Summit in 2019, right, it's, you know, CX, the customer experience all up and down, yeah. right? And that's, you know, really what you were talking about, aligning that journey from the moment that somebody comes in contact with your brand all the way through to when they tell their buddy about how great your product is, right? Like that's the, you know, that is what CX is. And I, I think, you know, a lot of our episodes, I talked a little bit about this in our funnel episode, Kelly Joe talked about this in our RevOps episode, uh, you know, ignoring the fact that these operational proxies and metrics are really important in determining which customer segments you are focused on, both from a value perspective and from an advocacy perspective, like that tends to be a pretty big miss, I think, in a lot of, you know, modern 
demand gen oriented or ABM oriented SaaS companies? It's not a question. It's just a statement, something that <laughs> is a personal pet peeve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you find everyone having the Zoom beers? That's, <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to pull up another question because I think it relates a little bit to what you said about moving after PQL um, into sort of more of an account based Mm -hmm. world. So Casey asks, what do you think about account based tools like Sixth Sense? We use Sixth Sense for prospecting on the ACQ side, but we are also looking at having a customer funnel that gathers intent data um, without the manual scoring models within a Marketo or a map thoughts or experiences there. Um, account-based prospecting. So it depends on what you, of course, if, if your next goal basically of your org becomes, um, if the next stage of your org becomes expansion, then that would be a great purchasing those enrichment tools. And you're talking about like, you need to not, as I said, not one person, but five people in the, in this company need to really be familiar with that. That would be a great use for account-based tools like Sixth Sense. Um, I think honestly, you can just deal from sales ops basically is like these are all should be theoretically they should be in Salesforce, and so if there are existing intent um signals that you can keep in a marketo source and pipe them into salesforce then you could use those as well um but yeah i think account-based tools i think the main there's I think reaching for the third-party cookie and third-party database intent structure out of existing customers, I feel like that'd be pretty low gains just by math percentages. Like you'd be looking at basically 2% at any point would maybe be highlighted of like having a relevant need out of your existing customers as opposed to 2% of the prospecting world, which is a huge actionable number. Um, so I could, I could see that it probably depends on the, um, it depends on what the individual site is. If you need if you need expansion into the accounts and different people, then you need to figure out how it is, who it is, and you need to figure out, you know, is it seven people? And then you need to determine how many out of seven have you successfully uh, conquered or uh, converted. <laughs> uh, so I think that even in itself would be a, a way to do that. If you use like account-based data and say, we have these eight people to go after now, you could do that. Um, but in terms of the, like, you know, people are looking at a complimentary product. I don't think it would, I haven't seen much value in that in the customer only side. So Edward, let's talk a little bit more Turkey. So there's a, a lot of components of this. We've talked about customer funnel and stages yeah. and various tools and scoring models and measuring sentiment. And some of it's, you know, you want to make it all analytical as much as you can get the data and be scientific about it. So as we know, most companies and organizations aren't doing very well with automating their their CS ops. So if a an org wanted to get started, they just wanted mm-hmm. to put something in place, how could they pilot something like this? Yes, this is yes. So um, the common, you'll see that I say this kind of approach as an answer a lot in the corporate world as you're doing these, which is to say you need a pilot program. Um, you need a, a, you need it risk capped, you need a value cost capped, you need previous success criteria of if it'll succeed or fail. And you need a criteria of after how much how much time and effort are you going to put into quantified six months usually. And then what is your your um, kill switch criteria at the end. Um, so two ways that you could do it one, you do a, a, a big pilot. Um, 
And it really depends on where you are and what your primary ROI that you're trying to measure is. So the first and easiest and like low hanging fruit and not the best reason is because it's just the best weight use. It's the cheapest, it's the cost efficiencies. And so you can do that as a pilot, for example, you say the my core hypothesis is that we could automate 80% of this entry auto conversation CSM stuff and we would not see a neg we would not see any you know any re- I don't want to say statistic asterisk statistically any economically significant difference in the retention and lifetime value of these two customers and if you do a 6 month pilot 3 month to set up on an automated path, take your best CSMs and just take their best templates the same way that you do with SDRs and then do the same thing with CSMs on an onboarding scripts um, and then randomly cohort out a certain amount or percentage of people so that half-ish, we'll just use half because it's nice and 50%, half go into the existing CSM model where they get personal touch and half go into the automated auto CSM path. There you go auto CSM, (laughs) auto CSM path. um, And the auto CSM path, the hypothesis is that once they hit PQL, this, the same percentage ish is going to be there. It's not going to be negatively different where, you know, we can look at it and say, definitely not statistically significant. So what's the economic difference in it primarily? Um, So that would be a pilot um, that you could do. You could run a, that would be the cost savings. And the idea is if you can do it automated with a fifth of the human resources, then you need to put those human resources to do better things in your organization and to spend them doing things like making templates and making paths for people to go down that are automated paths. Mm -hmm. Um, So a pilot is what you can do and you can do it pretty I think it's basically how do you just spin up exactly what you're doing? If you have Salesforce, you can redo it in that. If you have Marketo, you can redo it in that. And it's like coming up with an auto SDR, pseudo human sales drip or marketing drip. Same thing with onboarding. Um, And then at the end, what I've found in all these situations is at the end, you say, you look at the difference, you say, they're practically the same. And you say, (laughs) why are you spending a thousand times more on the way that you're currently doing it if they're exactly the same and we can do an automated path? They're not. It's the same. Um, And similarly, you might not find that. Um, And other things that you can do from that is you can see, great, maybe after that you get four extra CSM time. And so you say that, you know, segmented out 80% of the people don't want to be touched. And so 80% are automated. And then you just upgrade your CSMs to focus on enterprise or high value or new go to market into a different area or the, you know, the CSM who's coming up with a new like go to market template for every single place that they're going. So I think that turns into now you have CSMs not doing the campaign of the week equivalent that happens sometimes in marketing. It's like, why are we sending, why are we reinventing subject lines? We don't need to reinvent subject lines. It's a waste of time. We don't need to reinvent the the touch cycles and everything else like this. It's um, a lot of these um, can be automated entirely at this point. And it's what we would consider low level sophistication in the marketing operations world. But I would think uh, automating kind of the CS flow is going to take a lot more care and consideration than automating like an SDR flow, right? Like you want that to be somewhat intelligent and pulling from signals that you either have already in your Salesforce instance have from your mm-hmm. product or, you know, yes, you know, yes, are building does. that in first. Yeah, right? it does. Yeah, of course. The the worst and, and easiest implementation of this is 
is you just made a six email drip and called it CSM. That's not what I'm exactly proposing. Um, I think that, you know, actually, I think that that would actually probably be fine in a lot of cases. Really, more than you're considering, it'd be fine. Just fine, honestly. Um, but it's probably just what you're doing right now. Uh, same quality. Uh, but yeah, exactly. It's the idea that you can have automated things. So for example, instead of an, a path that's, that's human touch based. I'd rather, if you're just marketing to me only, only me's in the world, I would say just automate that into intelligent value added emails. What is my use right now? Like what, what's my, like, oh my, uh, compared to like the onboarding flow? Like, are you into like, oh my God, like, hey, think you're not going to do it. Uh, um, think you're not going to actually fully onboard. Um, that could be valuable insights that you can gleam and act on uh glean and act on and move with uh awesome. but yes uh, there's of course the easiest way is auto sdr but that's the same thing as saying you shouldn't do sales because if you just do sales it's going to be a, a shitty sdr who does just like six emails and that's what they do and you just spent a bunch of money on it now everyone who's in sales says well yeah if you want to quiet quit go for it uh but um but that's not really the path to doing things better as we know. Awesome. I'm going to pull one more um, question up and then I think we'll probably go into kind of our wrap and takeaways. Um, so Dave asks, um, in the CS ops world, have you seen success in using intent data to identify accounts that are at risk of churning? And then subsequently, if a customer showing intent signals that they're researching competitors prior to renewal, there's assumptions that could be acting yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like in the old CS. I didn't talk too much about this. this is like the old um, scout analytics gain site. This is basically the idea of like, how do you just use predictive scoring to identify pre-churn? And that's the most common uh, pseudo scoring, pseudo deep learning scoring that you can do is to determine churn risk in terms of having mm -hmm. outside data. Yeah. It's the same thing as any other model. Any way that you think would, if you can viably say, if I did that, would that mean that I'm probably going to go away soon? And just going through that path, coming up with scores and scoring through them. And, and if you can purchase intent data from third parties like Dave's talking about, that's that's absolutely can be value. But usually I see the the most valuable data is intent is actual product usage yeah. data, which you have. You better have. <laughs> uh, so um, so that's the primary, like in terms of looking elsewhere, you can see if they're not using your tool, then they're they're not um, happy about things or if they're not hitting benchmarks, falling below things, if they're slow to do things, I think is another thing. That's one that I think about. It's like, what's the speed to do a thing, a unit, a thing that we call a campaign? Um, does it if it takes one person eight hours to do it and takes another person two minutes to do it? That means that the eight hour person is struggling. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think, well, hold on. That's a good one from Tucker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. If you're looking at renewal. Yeah. Yep. So Tucker asks, uh, we were actively looking at a platform competitor. We requested info on our renewal date and received this note almost immediately. I feel this is a, a perfect example of how you can automate this process. Typically, when customers ask about their contract, they have some questions. Do you have some time to connect this week? Yes. Yeah, that's a great one. 
Um, yeah, that's a great one. The other thing that I've started to figure out too, in terms of like the contract cycles of where people are flighty is every, every product based on its product set has a certain amount of work back stickiness where you need to decide to get out of that. So for example, if you're changing your CRM, you need to decide six months before. Yeah. But if you're <laughs> well, slow. Well, six months isn't really, enough time. Six months isn't enough really time. really want to stress out your team, choose six months in ahead. Um, so, so yes, you, you got to determine. It depends on what it is. If there's um, the other thing that I like to do is fun is you can determine when you lost a customer based on the annual contract date of what your competitors do and then set a reminder on the turned customer on the people who didn't because you know that they do three-year contracts that means if you speak to them at two years and one quarter then they are interested maybe that's your only time to win basically <laughs> other than anger and with that i think we'll wrap it up here and we'll talk takeaways as we do at the end of every episode. So our three takeaways from our CS Ops session with Edward are, one, as some of our guests have noted before, customer operations should be a part of your RevOps team. For many organizations, it isn't yet. But if you are in an environment where it's possible to create some customer scoring or analysis in a pilot format, it's advantageous to bring these functions into the centralized operations team. Pilot programs can help prove the value of being more intentional and operational around how you approach your customer set. Pilot programs should be relatively short and simple with a clear success metric and testing criteria. Create a controlled trial and see what happens. Customers that are scored and bubbled up as being high potential or high potential of churning, are they generating more revenue or more leading indicators to revenue than your control set? That's a good place to start. Three. It has to be said again, even though we've said it a lot, customers are driving your demand. You need to ensure you are able to understand your customer set, their needs, their issues, and how they are moving through the funnel of onboarding to success to advocacy. Creating advocates drives demand, and you can use these skill sets a marketing operations team already has to better understand and operationalize this process. And I think that's a wrap for our very first live episode. No whiteboard, sad face. That's okay. We, we pulled it out we in the it. end. We did it. <laughs> we did it. Um, we will be releasing this episode on the normal feed as well once we've had a chance to kind of take it and edit it. Um, thank you for spending your time between sessions with us. Uh, up next... I believe on the hot dog stage, which I cannot believe I just said that. <laughs> uh, that? Up next Who on the hot it? <laughs> on the hot dog stage is how to set up a buyer's journey based lead activity lead act activity lead scoring model. Sorry, with Tony Yang, and on the sandwich stage is developing rookie mops team members into all star performers with Chris Willis and Brianne Walker. So choose your track. Head on over after a quick break. And if you're listening on our normal podcast feed, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our final episode of the season. Uh, until then, and I had a different one until we just chatted here. Until then, remember, do not decide to change CRMs just six months before your CRM contract end date. <laughs> Don't do that to your team. Thanks, everybody. This episode was produced by Kristen Crow, Kristen Caridio, Ali Stoltzfus, Lindsay Walter, and Claudia Lopez. With special thanks to our MopsCon team and 
A big thanks to Edward Unthank. That's it for Must Contain. I'm Kristen Crow. <laughs>